All right, as they make their way out, our scripture reading this morning, it's one that you've become familiar with as it is actually a favorite, not just of mine, but of many pastors that has to do with the Last Supper. And it's where we get our direction from Jesus to commemorate him regularly at what we call the Lord's Supper or communion. But I also like to use this passage you may have gleaned. I like to use it on special occasions whereon we traditionally remember an event or the persons who would be considered a sort of servant hero that generates the celebration that results in a holiday, right? Of course, Jesus is the greatest hero, servant hero, to ever walk the earth. And so this passage is fitting as we apply it to how we should remember our own human heroes and how we apply it to our lives for their good, for our good, and for our way of life that they have helped to give us. All right, the passage is found in Luke 22. It's in verses 14 through 20. If you'll read with me now and hear the word of the Lord. And when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it amongst yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they'd eaten, saying, the cup, this, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. All right, I could keep reading, but I want to stop there. You heard me pause on one of those phrases, do this in remembrance of me. Of course, it's Memorial Day weekend. So before I start on the sermon, let's just recognize what we just heard, okay? We just heard the infallible the inerrant word of God, all right? And so that should bless to your hearts what it is. Jesus, the Lagos, the living word of God, it's active. So I pray that it has blessed you this morning. Unless you've been living under a rock, I think we all know that this is Memorial Day weekend. The official holiday, of course, is actually tomorrow, but we Americans will typically take advantage of the entire weekend as a three-day holiday frequently to get an opportunity maybe to visit some family or to take a welcome break, maybe a bit of a road trip to someplace special, because it marks the unofficial beginning of summer. We all know this. For many kids, school is recently let out. We just did a graduation. Was it was today Sunday? On Friday, we did three graduations of our preschool. There were a lot of families there, a lot of kids, and one dog. What wasn't mine. Somebody was holding a dog. Anyway, school is about to let out if it hasn't already. And so personally, I'd like to just share a little bit of an anecdote with you. Personally, Memorial Day takes me back to when I was a boy in the 60s and 70s, which may seem young to you, but it's not to me. I lived in a small neighborhood that had a community pool. And it's where I spent the bulk of my summers hanging out there, swim teaming, shooting some basketball, doing whatever kids do at a community pool, and also getting very sunburned. Something the dermatologist is very happy today to see me regularly. 
But something else that I've kept secret since all those boyhood years, I'll confess to you all now, is a tradition that I had with my friends. Really, it was a competition. This community swim club was always opened up for the season on the Saturday of the Memorial Day weekend. And for some reason, it was always a weird honor as a kid to be the first one in the pool for the season. Kind of like maybe being king of the hill is an honor, if you remember that game. Nevertheless, to be the first kid in the pool was a cold alternative because it was like on the warm side of ice because it had just been filled up. But there we were. We were every year racing our bikes. Mine had a banana seat on it, purple, handed down from my brother. If you want to picture that, and we're pedaling really fast to get to the gate's entrance ahead of everybody else. We're not showing any membership pass that we're racing on. But just before we'd get to the pool, I would, I would sort of take a pause because I didn't want to be first. It was cold. And I gave that option to the kid who was my friend. I grew up with this guy named Greg. He was one of my best friends uh, throughout my childhood. And he was always the first one in. He would get out and he'd be shivering. He'd feel all proud and everything. And I just want Greg to know on the internet that if you're watching, I let you win. I let you win, man. Anyway, as I got older and I joined the military, it became far clearer to me what Memorial Day really stood for. In case you were wondering or perhaps had forgotten, it's not the same as Armed Forces Day or Veterans Day. Armed Forces Day, it recognizes those who are currently serving. Veterans Day honors those who have uh, served in the past. But Memorial Day is most special amongst them. It honors those men and women who died while on active duty. And especially those soldiers and those sailors and those airmen who lost their lives during battle, during wartime. It's a solemn day on which we Americans, we pay tribute to those fallen heroes because without their sacrifice, we may not be a sovereign nation today. And to that end, by the way, it's not appropriate on Memorial Day to thank a veteran. It isn't. But it is appropriate to lay wreaths at the gravestones of those who died in service while they're in uniform. It, it pays tribute to them, right, and it honors them. Now, something I mentioned at the National Day of Prayer in front of our courthouse, uh, sorry, City Hall, a couple of weeks ago, that we're very fortunate in Covington to have such a rich military history. I didn't know that before I really began coming to Covington, but it's worth bringing up again, as you know, in addition to the Road of Honor flags that are throughout our city, our courthouse has memorials of those men and women from our community who perished in war. That's your family here in Covington. Hitting a bit closer to my home and my office, it's not up on a wall, but it's in my office, I have a plaque. It's from the old Department of Defense, the War Department. It memorializes the death of my dad's uncle. All right, this is my granduncle, Albert. Albert MacDougall, who was killed in France during World War I. I don't think this is a unique story, but um, it's interesting nonetheless. On August, on an afternoon in August in 1914, his mother, my great-grandmother, she received two letters on the same day, within a couple hours of each other, actually. 
One was from her soldier son who had written to her a few weeks prior. He was conveying to her comfort that he was doing great. He was doing fine, had landed in France or was expected to land in France, but the other notice was hand-delivered from the army. It announced the the death of Albert in battle only two days after that letter was written. We should never forget the sacrifice of these heroes. I think that's what they are. Because it's a pithy statement, but it's nevertheless true that freedom isn't free. And it never will be. I'd like us to think about that introduction as I hope it tees us up for something that the Word of God has to say to us this morning. That while valued tradition and rich history, they're blessings. Right? We should continue to remember that. They're, they're cherished. I mean, really, they're cherished memories. They're cherished traditions. But God has asked us to specifically remember certain things that he is most concerned with. God understands that we're touched by heroic and selfless acts of others and that we're especially grieved when those whom we love are taken from us prematurely, right, before they get old, before their time, perhaps, before they've had a chance to live out their elder years. We know this because our God even weeps over such things. You'll remember the example of Lazarus, right? That's in John 11, the shortest verse in Scripture. You know what that is, right? Jesus wept. Jesus wept. But God is most concerned for his church, and he died for it. The church, which is comprised of souls, of people who were, are you ready for this, in rebellion against him while he died for them. It was in the midst of that rebellious living that God reached down, that he condescended to humanity. Paul writes about this in Romans 5, verse 8. He says that God shows his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, right? When we were yet in rebellion against him, God reached down, showed his love for us by having Christ die for us, his son. And that's what we must never forget. Who we must never forget. And not just annually here on this last weekend in May, but every day. Because your spirit, his spirit lives in you. So we don't forget that. Every day God loved the church so much with a paramount kind of love that he literally died for it as the only path of reconciliation from sin. He delivered his son to do battle with Satan, a pretty formidable enemy, to fight evil, to slay the devil, to rid the world of corruption eventually with the sword of the Spirit, which is, of course, the perfect word of God. Right? That's living, that's active, that's Jesus. The Word of God is a person. Your Bible is active, it pierces to the innermost part of the soul. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It's John 1 1. It's not some inert ink on a page, it's living, it affects you. You cannot re- read it without being pierced. It does something. It has its effect on us. 
Now, last year from this very pulpit, I preached on God as a warrior, a warrior that fights for his own. Of course, it's not wrong to think of God as loving and merciful. He is the epitome of both of those. He is love. He is mercy. He dispenses those freely. But we must never forget that he is a holy God. He is just. He's just. He cannot compromise the fact that he must dispense justice. He must uphold his name. And all these things, as difficult as it might be to reconcile all of that, is the fact that it is all to his glory. All of it. And so if you're mysterious about that, if you're not sure how all that reconciles, for the moment, just, can, uh, just throw up your hands and say, God, praise you. Your mind is infinite and mine is finite. We read in Exodus 15 as a celebration, mind you. This is a celebration. Moses declares that the Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. You send out your fury, and it consumes them like stubble. Okay? This is justice. Remember the pre-incarnate Lord, right? the Christophany, if you will, that shows up on the scene in Joshua 5? He's the captain over all the heavenly armies. He's arrayed in some battle gear. He's going to fight for God's people. Glory, glory, hallelujah, as truth is marching on, right? This is, these are military themes. The vivid picture of Christ in Revelation 19, it continues that theme. Charging on a white war stallion, verse 15 tells us that, from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of fury, of the, thank you, Charles. That was a great solo. Opening it up. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This man, this God, his name is Jesus. He's the ultimate one, and we should memorialize him. And I'll describe how we should do that in a second. But why do I say ultimate? Okay, because, first of all, there's no grave to visit, right? Jesus does not have a grave where we can go and look and see his body or his remains any longer. Despite his war with Satan and his death on the cross and his burial, his death was ultimately the death of evil. The Lord Jesus, as you know, but I'm reminding you, resurrected. He's no longer in the grave because, as you know, I've said many times before, death had no claim on him. And that's why your Protestant crosses don't depict the man Jesus upon it. It's empty. Because as I speak, he's not on the cross. He died once. He lives as a victorious king, reigning over the kingdom into which all the souls of God's people will populate as its citizens, right? That's the the kingdom of God. As I speak, as I speak, as you hear, Jesus right now lives and serves as your great high priest. Now, what is that? He mediates on your behalf, right? He intercedes on your behalf to the Father, 
And as I speak, as you hear this right now, he serves as the ultimate prophet. He doesn't point to the future, predicting some Messiah. No, he points to himself as the one who is the prophet who has come. And he's the only way of, of, of salvation. I've said this, I say this all the time. He's exclusive. He's not one way towards God up that mountain. The only acceptable atonement is Jesus for sin. And that is pure grace. It's pure grace. There's nothing added to it. You can't help Jesus accomplish your redemption. And to think you can add anything to his finished work, right, to his obedience and to his death, that would be pretty arrogant of us to conclude that. The Lord God himself died for you. He died. What gives us any inkling to think that we could improve on that? Or somehow that that's not effective, that somehow we can lose that salvation? So all you have, all you can have is repentance and a faith that God will accept you as you are on the basis of your son in order to be saved. Sanctification, that's a little different. We can talk about that in a different sermon. Becoming more holy after you have been saved, after you've been justified, it's a little different, but it's still Jesus, still God who makes you holy. That victory over evil, that battle that he waged for your soul may be celebrated by you only to the glory of the one who fought it. And so we come before him with humility and without any sense of deserving. There's no pride in Christianity for ourselves. As you know, and I like this about you, Edgemont, as you know, it's our tradition to celebrate the Lord's Supper on the first Sunday of each quarter. And so we're coming up on July 3rd. It's the first Sunday of the new quarter. We'll be taking communion together. And in that celebration, you will hear the words, do this in remembrance of me. That's not a call to simply think about it. All right? It's a call to action. It's a call to relationship. Do this in in remembrance of me is Jesus declaring that his blood and that his body represented in those elements of bread and wine which we ingest were sacrificed as the only acceptable satisfaction for the penalty of sin. That's the justice of God. He requires a penalty. He's not going to waive it. It's got to be paid. Either you pay it or someone else pays it. And that by feasting on Jesus spiritually, we then have real fellowship with the risen Lord. We do that as a sacrament, right? That's, the sacraments are considered what we call the means of grace. And so along with the scriptures, and along with prayer, the Lord's Supper is one of those gracious means by which we have access to our living God. There's the three ways that we communicate with him. Now, your Bibles, I trust you're reading them. If you're not, dust them off. Open up a fresh, fresh page that you haven't gotten to in a while. It's full of memorials. 
Right? There's lots of signs and symbols and events in there. Just a few examples I'll give you right now. One is from the Old Testament in Moses. He sings the victory to remember God's parting of the Red Sea. It's a song of memorial. Another is Samuel. When they conquered the Philistines, he set up what's called that Ebenezer stone, right? That memorial stone. God gave victory to the Israelites over the Philistines, and he wanted people to remember God's actions. We have David, King David. He wrote a song. Actually, it was a lament over the deaths of King Saul and Saul's son, Jonathan. The song's purpose wasn't just to honor the deaths of of King Saul and Jonathan, but it was to exhort the people to mourn and to remember the Lord's anointed. Just another example. In the Old Testament, of course, it has memorials in the form of various recurring feasts. There's many of them. But God established these to help the Israelites remember the saving acts of God. Again, everything, everything in the Bible, I was reminded this week that the common Basic cornerstone of the Bible, and you might have your own thoughts on what this is, but I've become convinced lately that the entire common thread throughout the Bible is not just covenant or not just redemption, but it's God's glory. That that is the cornerstone of everything that we have in Scripture. Every jot and tittle is there for His glory, and we can bask in that when we read it. There was such a thing called the Feast of Booths, right? That's an example I have here where Israel set up tents and they lit candles to commemorate Israel's wandering in the desert and God's guiding fire by night. And of course, maybe the one that we see all the time today is the rainbow. That's a sign. That's something that God wants to have us think about and memorialize and remember, if you will. That his covenant of grace was not only to save mankind, right? It, it does that, but actually to save creation as well. That's what that bow in the sky extended his covenant of grace to. It expanded it to not just the saving of man, but to the saving of all of creation. You can check that out in Genesis if you'd like. God's promise to restore man to life and relationship with him through the risen Lord, that promise has been fulfilled as evidenced by the resurrection of Jesus. Again, I say that's evidence. We see that as a symbol in the empty cross. But the covenant sign given to Noah, the rainbow, as I said, it extends to all creation. And God, if I can say this, he looks, um, he gives us memorials or he has us establish them, right, to really, on his behalf, to honor him, to glorify himself, to help us remember that there's a testimony to his saving acts, acts of rescuing his people from enemies, such as warring neighbors, famine, despair, plagues, from all the effects that sin brings to bear upon the human race, But ultimately, ultimately, these are just signs and symbols and and events that point. They're testimonies that tell us of Jesus. They're pointing to him as the eternal word of God. 
Now, as I said a few moments ago, we need to realize that Jesus isn't on the come, right? He's not something in the future, if you will. In the Old Testament, he was promised, he was prophesied of. The Old Testament pointed to his incarnation, right? His becoming flesh. But unlike the people of the Old Testament, who only had these as a shadow, the promise of the Messiah, the signs that point to him, we now have his full revelation, the Bible, the full canon of Scripture, the completed revelation of God, which is no longer shadowy. It's complete. And as I said earlier, it's alive and it's active. And as we have the resurrected living Lord through whom we pray to the Father, right? He is the Word. We now have access by him to the throne of grace by that great high priest, Jesus himself, who, as I said earlier, he's mediating on your behalf to the Father. He takes your, par- your prayers, your petitions. He then presents them to the Father on your behalf. I can't imagine a better mediator than that, a better great high priest. That's why we don't have a priest on earth anymore. There's only one that's necessary. It's Jesus. And so we have fellowship with the risen Lord, as I mentioned, also through the Lord's Supper. So we're praying, we're reading, we're feasting on him, and we're doing all this in faith. We believe that it's going to have an effect, and we believe that God wants to bless us with them. So all the monuments, all the promises, all the signs, the celebrations, the festivals, all the memorials in the Bible that were designed to point to salvation and honor God with thanksgiving and recognition, they find their full honor. The fullness of their honor is in Jesus, in his Son. Of course, Jesus fulfilled everything. He fulfilled everything that's necessary for us to experience the reality of those promises. Eternal restoration, both of our souls and our bodies forever. Earlier, I said that Jesus directs us to participate in the Lord's Supper as a remembrance. And that that's the ultimate memorial. Not just to recall him. Not just to think of him as a memory. But to remember him is a call to action. We're supposed to do something about that. A practical example of this is directed to us by the author of Hebrews. In your New Testament, Hebrews chapter 13 Verse 3 says, Remember those who are in prison, as though in prison with them, and those that are mistreated, since you are also in the body. All right. So remembrance isn't passive. Don't just think about those who are in prison. Do something about it, is what the writer of Hebrews is saying. Love your neighbor. I think you've heard that before in the New New Testament. Visit those in prison. Another New Testament call. Care for the mistreated. Another word of God from the Testament. Comfort those who mourn. Who said that? Lord Jesus. Lots of imperatives there. Verbs, action words, directions. And lastly, God gives us memorials Because we forget. I know I do. Deuteronomy 6, 12 through 15. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. 
Do not forget. Judges 8.33, Then it came about, as soon as Gideon was dead, that the sons of Israel again played the harlot with the Baals and made Baal Barith their god. Thus the sons of Israel did not remember the Lord their God, who had delivered them from the hands of all their enemies on every side. And in Psalm, Psalm 106, they made a calf at Horeb and worshipped a molten image. Thus they exchanged their glory for the image of an ox that eats grass. They forgot God their Savior, who had done great things in Egypt. All right, I think you'll agree with me. We are a leaky people. We're getting worse as we get older, I think. We forget. So in light of this tendency that we have as human beings, frail, finite, forgetful, what do we do about it? Just hope for the best? I don't think so. If we're honest with ourselves, we need to be intentional about working to not forget. Deuteronomy 11, it It directs us in this way. It tells us to be purposeful and to be regular about remembering God's word with complete devotion. Now, we're not going to do this perfectly, but this is the call. Complete devotion to remembering God's word both daily and generationally. I'm going to read this now. So commit yourselves wholeheartedly, Deuteronomy says, to these words of mine. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. Teach them to your children. Talk about them when you are at home and when you are on the road, when you are going to bed and when you are getting up. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates so that as long as the sky remains above the earth, you and your children, that's generational, you and your children may flourish in the land of the Lord that he swore to give to your ancestors. Commit, tie, wear, teach, talk, write. I think we get the picture here. Total commitment. And that's our application. To remember the Lord in that way, with total commitment. Now look, while we respect and we honor those who died for our country and for our way of life, we're not to treat Jesus that way. We're not to, not to set aside one day a year to recall his sacrifice and to be thankful. Instead, we're to live in constant remembrance and in unity with Christ. Unto service, right? It's active. Visit those in prison. Unto service. Powered by the Holy Spirit is how we do it living in faith with the precepts of God revealed in his word. The cross, if I may put it this way, is our spiritual war memorial. It reminds us that Jesus did real battle with the enemy. But unlike those engraved memorial stones outside of our Covington courthouse, which are limited only to the names of those who died in war, the cross is the ultimate Memorial of sacrifice, of obedience, of love, and thank God of victory. 
Memorials for the dead are good. We should continue to do that. They can remind us of who's brave and what's honorable. They're even helpful for us to remain connected to the memory of our loved ones and to remember from where we came and how God providentially brought us here into this place. But the memorial for the living, specifically for the living Lord, is a daily remembrance. It's continual. It's a constant way of thinking. So let's never, ever forget, even for a moment, let's never forget God. We need to remain in his word. We need to pray often. We need to live in a manner that enjoys relationship with our creator and with our redeemer. I almost want to ask if there's any questions, but I'm going to leave it there. We're going to close in prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you again for your love for us. As we go about the rest of our day, this holiday weekend, and this week, would you help us to bear in mind your living word so that we do your will, whatever that might be for each one of us, Lord. We, we need your grace, however, to do it. We need your power. We need your care. So go with us. Go before us and watch over us, even when we might be unaware of your presence. You're our God, and we are your people. Glory, glory, hallelujah. We are your people. In Christ's name, amen.